Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. opportunity to fill in for him on Wednesday night. So when I spoke a couple of weeks ago, you might remember if you were here that I talked about the three strongholds that would try and keep you from accomplishing God's purpose for your life. Anybody remember that vaguely? Okay. So I'm passionate about helping people find out what their God-given purpose is First, by introducing them to God if they don't know him yet, and then getting them up and moving forward in their new purpose. But also about just waking up, a lot of times just church people, because sometimes we just get comfortable, or we think we've already arrived, or we think that maybe we're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing. But we all have a divine purpose. Every single one of us were created for a divine purpose. And there's a very strategic reason that God put each and every one of us here at this moment, at this time in history, in this place. And so it's so important that we press in and we try to discover what that purpose is and walk it out fully. But a lot of people just settle. They just say, well, it's good enough. I'm, I'm okay. You know, I don't really need to do too much more. I'm comfortable. But I don't want to settle. Do you want to settle? I want to lay hold of everything that God has for me because I want to live out every bit of potential and I want to be able to accomplish all the purposes and all of the plans that he has for my life because he made me for intentional reasons just like he made you for intentional reasons. And I don't want to disappoint him. So tonight we're going to talk about settling for less than God's best. So probably the biggest question that we as human beings struggle with, young or old, is why am I here? I remember years ago writing a Bible course that was distributed to third world people that couldn't read it. And one of the questions were the the five questions of life. And the very first question, the great questions that everybody asks around the world is why am I here? Because we all want to matter. We all want to know that. What's my purpose for being? And we especially seem to ask these questions when we get into difficulties, when we feel hopeless or we get sad or frustrated, when heaven is silent and we're not hearing from God, or when bad things happen in our lives. These questions, they seem to rise up in our hearts because we desperately want to know the answers. We want to be reassured. We want to see ourselves as valued and sometimes we, you know, we just want to know that we have a purpose, that we matter. And oftentimes we look to other people for validation. And sometimes they say the right things, right? But the only one who can really give us value is the one who created us. And that's God. And he knows us. He knows why. He knows the how. He knows the answers to all of the questions that we have. And so we need to listen. I'm going to read four verses that speak to this, and then we're going to get into our message these are what he says regarding us in the pages of his word. Jeremiah 29, 11, I'm sure you all know that one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And Ephesians 2, 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Acts 17, 26, 
From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Psalm 139, 16 and 17. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. So, according to what we just heard in these four passages of Scripture, we know that, number one, God has a specific plan for your life. And it may be a mystery to you right now exactly what that plan is, but it's not a mystery to God. Number two, and it's a really, really good plan. In fact, it's the best plan. And since this plan is your plan, this proves that you're not a mistake, that God made you intentionally. He was very intentional when he allowed you to be born. And you are uniquely you. Number three, God created you in Christ Jesus with special talents and abilities to accomplish this plan that he designed just for you before he ever brought you to life. And if you're still breathing and if you um, are still here, you've not yet completed that plan because there's no retirement plan in God's plan. Number four, God alone determines the time, the family, and circumstances into which and how you would be born. That means that he picked out your family, your nationality, your birthplace, your biological makeup, and even the exact moment in history to complete the plan. Number five, before you were growing in your mother's womb, he wrote down everything about you. Your greatest accomplishments, your worst mistakes. Your whole life is already recorded in God's great big, big, uh, great big book of you. And God's thinking about you all the time. And they're really, really good, loving, and encouraging thoughts. They're thoughts to get you up, to get you moving, to bring you into right relationship with him first and then with others, and to position and equip you to accomplish the plans and purposes that he's planned specifically for you to do. Does anybody else find this? exciting just a little bit to think about how God is so intentional in the creating and and the plan that he has for us. So with this amazing revelation, I'd like to pose a question. If all of this is indeed true, if God really does have a special plan and a purpose for each one of our lives, one that he's gone to such great lengths to put together just for you and me, why then do we so often settle for less than his perfect plan? Why do we put it off? or make excuses for not possessing what he's made provision for. And for some of us, why do we give up on the plan altogether, becoming so impatient with God's timing that we come up with a plan of our own? Now, I think the answer many times is we as human beings, we have a tendency to be really self-focused. We get hung up on the way that we see ourselves, how we're constantly comparing ourselves like our finances, our lives, our abilities, or even our disabilities for that matter, with people we either observe casually from a distance or people that we really respect and we look up to them. And what we look at, when we look at them, what we perceive as their greatness and we look to ourselves and we don't see it there, we look at ourselves and we see inabilities. When we compare ourselves and our circumstances to another person, we might be implying that God, you don't really know what you're doing because you should have made me like that person or made me more talented or or richer or smarter because if I didn't have this disability or all of this baggage from my past 
or if I lived in a different place, or if I was 20 years younger or 20 years older, God, I'd be doing such incredible things for you. But here and now, with what I have and how I see myself to be, I really don't have anything to offer you right now. That's not true. And that's a really dangerous place to find yourself in. Because God has created each and every person on this planet to be a unique masterpiece. We are all created in his image. So whatever stage you are in your life right now, if you're a young adult, if you're middle-aged or a senior, if you're single, if you're married, if you've got kids at home or you're an empty nester, whatever circumstances that he has placed you in is the place that he has already equipped you for, right? You just have the right talent, you have the right gifting, you have the right abilities, and they're all inside of you right at this moment to accomplish his purpose, however and wherever you may be. So when comparing yourself to others in their talents, resources, or even in the way that they look, your focus turns inward. And what you don't see there, you you perceive as a lack. And God's not limited by your perceptions, however you are, especially if you allow your focus to remain there because it can't be in two places at once. If you stay focused on your limitations, then your focus cannot be resting on the limitless God that you serve. So is it easier to believe that God made a mistake when he made you, that he sees no value in you? Just because you might not be able to see your worth right now in no way cancels out the significance that God assigns to you. Because we're reminded when we read John 3.16, that shows us clearly how much he loves us, how beloved we, we are, because he says, for this is how God showed his love to the world, that he gave his only begotten son so that everyone who believes on him would not perish but have eternal life. And so he gave that son to be crushed and bruised and beaten and crucified on a cross to bleed and die for our sins to bring us back into correct relationship with him. That's how much value that God ascribes to you and to me when he looks at us. He doesn't look at how little we think we have to offer or how humble or grand our circumstances are. Because when he looks at us, he sees a being that he formed and he crafted by intelligent design to show his amazing love into whatever place on this planet that he determines us to be born into. So we need to get that deep into our hearts that you matter, we matter, both to God and to this world. So we can't use our excuses or our bruised self-images to keep us from fulfilling the plan that God has for us to both do and to be. And we should never, ever settle for less than God's best. So I want to look at a familiar passage in the book of Acts about someone who almost settled for less than God's perfect best for his life. It's very familiar. I'm sure you're going to know it, but maybe you've never heard it quite this way. So we're going to be reading in the book of Acts, chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 1. So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
And taking him by the right hand, he helped him. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. And then he went up with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, this man had been born with a physical disability. He couldn't walk. And every day he had to rely on other people to carry him to the gate of the temple where he would spend the day begging for money as people were going in and out to worship. Now, his disability apparently prevented him from having a job. And so he became used to depending on other people's kind hearts to give him coins. And that's how he managed to survive. Now, this man had been there for a really, really long time. And if you read to the end of the chapter, you're going to find out that people recognized him as the one who always sat begging at this gate of the temple because he was kind of a regular fixture there. And it's interesting to note in this particular, that when this event took place, it took place shortly after Jesus had ascended to heaven. And this was the beginning of Peter and John's ministry. And this crippled beggar had very likely been begging at the same place the many times that Jesus had gone in and out of the temple to worship. Yet Jesus had never felt compelled to heal this particular man. Now, since Jesus only did what the Father commanded him to do, we have to believe that this miracle was one that didn't have his name on it, and God was going to use someone else at a future date to bring healing to this man. Well, perhaps this man hadn't even been looking for healing when Jesus passed through because the coins were good enough. And it could be that he'd gotten so accustomed to seeing himself as a person with limited resources and limited abilities that he never even allowed his mind to go there, to think that there could be something different, a life lived beyond what he was experiencing at that moment. Maybe he just accepted his destiny, settling for a life of begging, dependent on human kindness instead of living a life of purpose, dependent upon God. Now, that was all about to change because at 3 o'clock one afternoon, Peter and John were on their way to church, and they seeing this man sitting begging by the gate. Beautiful. Well, Peter and John were full of the power of the Holy Spirit now because they were a part of that explosion that happened in the upper room in the previous chapter of Acts chapter 2. And when that rushing wind had filled that room and tongues of fire had appeared on their heads, and they all began to speak with other tongues. Well, the power and the promise of the Holy Spirit, it not only rested upon them, but it totally filled them. And these disciples, they weren't the same ones that were up there when they went in. When they came out, they were fearless, and they were bold, and they were full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so on that day when they passed the gate beautiful on their way to the temple, that was their usual custom, this lame man asked them for money. Now, when Peter and John see them sitting by the gate, they don't pretend to not see him and walk on by. They're keenly aware that he's there. And the beggar speaks up, and he asks the disciples for money. And so they stop, and they look right at this man. And as they pause on their way to the temple gates, it's almost as if Peter and John are hearing the Spirit of God whispering to them that perhaps Holy Spirit's telling them that today is the day this man's going to receive his miracle, and I'm going to use you guys to help me bring it to pass. How exciting. And Peter says to this man, look at us. And the Bible says that the man looked at him expecting to get something from them. And he was assuming that money would soon be forthcoming from Peter and John. He was ready to settle for the coins that they would hopefully be tossing onto his blanket, never believing or expecting for anything better. 
And it would seem that he was willing to settle for far less than what God had already in eternity's past planned for him this day. And Peter then says to the man, we don't have any money. And you can imagine the man was probably disappointed when Peter said that because, of course, he was expecting to get something on his blanket. And apparently that probably wasn't going to happen. But Peter goes on to say, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him to his feet and his ankles and his feet became instantly strong strong enough to support his weight, and then to allow him to first walk and then begin to jump. And soon he was leaping and praising God, joining Peter and John as he passed through the temple gates to worship God. No longer was this lame beggar limited to staying outside of the gate. He now had full and equal access. Now, I don't believe it was God's intention for this man to remain a crippled beggar for his whole life although it might have been the man's. Maybe he couldn't see beyond his circumstances, and he'd allowed those limited circumstances to determine how he would both live his life and how he would serve his God, always being on the outside and never, ever fully being allowed inside. He had allowed himself to become victimized by his circumstances, living far below God's plan and purpose for his life and probably making a whole lot of excuses as to why he had no choice but to stay there. It was only when he entered into agreement with what God had planned for him that he was able to move past the gates that had kept him out and move inside, laying hold of the fullness of what God had been saving for him all along. All that this lame beggar had had to do was look up and receive. Taking Peter's hand was an act of faith, and God more than met him there in that one seemingly insignificant gesture. But are we so different from this crippled beggar? Do we allow our focus upon our situations or our circumstances, what we view as lack and limitations, do we allow them to keep us outside of the gate instead of being able to fully enter in? sometimes guilty of settling for little tokens like the coins instead of daring to believe that God really could have more for our lives, making excuses for why we're not stepping out in faith. We set the boundaries by limiting what we'll believe God for instead of focusing on our limitless God and trusting fully in his divine and perfect plan for our lives. We put the cap on our mind and on our spirit, and this cap it impairs our ability to see and believe for more. And many of us, even uh, us that are mature in the faith, we've been living far below the spiritual poverty line. We settle for what we think is good enough when God is holding his best for us. Now think about this. How often do we apply that same principle in our natural lives, accepting something as good enough? Now, if you're paying for a repair on your car or repair on your house, is that the kind of mechanic or carpenter that you want working on it? One that settles for good enough? Of course not. You want the best. And God's the same way because when he formed man, he didn't just take a handful of sand and throw it out there and say, that's good enough. He was intentional in his design and he didn't settle. He made us in his own image and there's nothing higher than that. So we've got to change the way that we view ourselves. We've got to begin to see ourselves like God sees us. 
We're created in his image. We're perfectly suited for wherever he has placed us. And we're not lacking in anything because when we have Jesus, we have everything. But you might be thinking, Suzanne, it's, that sounds really good, but you don't understand. Anchorage is a pretty small town, and I've got some pretty serious baggage from my past. Now, if I really step out there for God, people might not take me seriously because of my past. Or, Suzanne, I've been hurt by church people in the past, and I don't want to risk being wounded again, so I'm okay just sitting here and you know, holding the fort till Jesus comes. These excuses are probably more common than we know. How the enemy loves to use our past mistakes or our past offenses to keep us from stepping out into our future. And so allow me to take this little tiny rabbit trail to address this once and for all. Philippians 3, 13, 14 reads, Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. Now, the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, he knew a thing or two about having a past. Now, he was a devoutly religious individual. However, that didn't stop him from making some pretty big blunders. Paul learned the importance of not dwelling on his past mistakes, like uh, violently persecuting Christians to destroy the church or allowing past offenses, or even suffering what he had to endure, like beatings and betrayals and tortures and shipwrecks and even snakebite, all for the cause of Christ. He didn't allow them to keep him from moving forward. Because in Paul's own words in Galatians 1.15, even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Because Paul understood completely that he had been saved for more than just holding on the back of a pew until Jesus returned. He had a divine purpose, and so do we. God uses our mistakes to help us grow in our faith. We'll battle our flesh until the day that we die. That's why we fix our eyes on Jesus, as the writer of the Hebrews instructs us, and not on ourselves. We can't look back. Otherwise, we'll become so burdened by our past mistakes, or even the memory of them, that it can be almost crippling. And that's why Paul says that we strain, or we press on, or we keep moving forward toward the high or the upward calling, that end goal with Jesus at the finish line. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear him say, well done. I want to finish the race strong, and I want to fulfill the purpose that he had for creating me, don't you? So exiting the rabbit trail back to our story, when Peter held out his hand to the crippled beggar, the word says that the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Walking and leaping and praising God, he followed the disciples into the temple. No longer was he limited to being outside of the gate. He was walking in the purpose and the plan that God had for him all along. So when we hold out our hand to Jesus, he raises us up and he strengthens us to be able to walk out our plan as well. It's a partnership because God's not limited. The lame beggar, he never really actually was limited by his circumstance and neither are we. It's how we view them that creates that illusion. 
So our lives are meant to be lived in the full expression of our faith, no matter what our circumstances and how we live it out serves as a visible sign to the world. It's a sign that no matter what situation we find ourselves, no matter how bleak or, or how grim, our lives are one of worship and of faith and of praise, one of replicating the God who created us and then saved us to accomplish his plan of bringing others into the kingdom one purpose and one person at a time. And Peter and John didn't let their lack define them either or dictate what they could or couldn't accomplish for God. Instead of focusing on what they didn't have, which was the the silver and the gold, they boldly and joyfully released what they did have to the one who was in need and didn't even really know how needy he was. They gave out of what they themselves had received, and that was the power of the Holy Spirit that was living inside of them. Now, how sad the story would have been if this man had just settled for the coins. We've never, ever must settle for less than God's best. That same transformative power that brought healing to the lame beggar can be the same power that fills each one of us today. And there's no lack in that. God defines you. God puts his name upon you. God equips you. God sustains you. And God loves you with an everlasting love. So don't settle. He's already given you exactly what you need. And the question is, what are you doing with it? So before the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost, the disciples were hiding in fear. And you can imagine how some of them must have been feeling. Talk about past failures. Peter denied Jesus three times, and almost all of them had deserted Jesus when he needed them the most. But after the Holy Ghost fell, they were changed. They were full of the revelatory knowledge of Jesus Christ, who he was, and who he was inside of them. And they began to both walk in spiritual authority and in power. And signs and wonders followed them, and thousands and thousands were saved, and the world was transformed. They weren't going to let the past steal from their present. And the only time that they ever brought up their past was for the glory of God. Revelations 12:11 tells us that we overcome the evil one by the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. So when the enemy brings up your past mistakes, he's only doing that because he wants to keep you from stepping out into the plan that God has for you. So if you've confessed those mistakes to Christ, it's under the blood. So embrace your past mistakes as part of your story. And then use what he's done for you to rescue others from darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light. Get into the word of God because it's full of people with a past. Read 1 Corinthians 6 in verse 9 and 10. Paul talking to the church, he talks about lifestyle choices and behaviors like male prostitutes and homosexuals and adulterers and drunkards and abusive individuals. And then he adds, as some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed and made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have a past, and most of us do, you're in really good company. It's okay to be real. The world and the church is full of broken people looking for someone to relate to. Your redeemed past could be the bridge to someone else's redeemed future. So remember that. One of the things that I love best about Maranatha is that this is a church that accepts you for who you are now, not who you were before. And I always think of that old Christmas cartoon with Rudolph and the Island of Misfit Toys when I think of this church. Those toys 
were exiled to an island because they weren't perfect. Pieces were missing and parts were broken. Does that sound like any of us? But when at last they were placed in a loving environment and given a second chance, they flourished as they were allowed to develop into what they were always designed to be. And that's Maranatha. Many of us here have a past. We have divorces or maybe a rap sheet or addiction, poor choices, scandals, indiscretions, whatever it may be. But because of Jesus and a loving environment, we're given a second, third, fourth chance to develop in our faith and then begin to walk out the plan and the purpose that Christ had for our lives all along. Aren't you thankful that Jesus never quits on us, that he withholds no good thing from us, even though we might have been a little lost or a lot of rebellious rebellious along the way. And Jesus said that we would do even greater works than he did. And that's through the power of the Holy Ghost, which is in this house tonight and hopefully which is living inside of you. So you have what it takes to finish your race and you have what it takes to finish it well for the glory of God. Don't ever let anyone tell you different. Going back to Ephesians 2.10, once again, it encourages us that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this verse gives you all the confidence that you need to carry out your special God purpose. But what is it? What does it look like? What are you supposed to do with this word? Well, the best place to ask this question is on your knees, in your prayer closet, and as you spend time in his word. John 16, 13 through 15 tells us that one of Holy Spirit's purposes is to point people to the Father and the Son, to guide us in all truth, but also to reveal the will of the Father to us. So you just need to ask him and then journal what you hear and see as he reveals himself to you in the word. And then ask yourself, what gives me joy? What am I good at? Well, what's God asking of you today? Is it to maybe linger in his presence for an hour instead of scrolling through Facebook or Instagram? Is it to use your abilities to help a widow or visit someone who's sick? Is it to make a few phone calls to encourage someone who's struggling? Jesus says that a cup of cold water given in his name to one of the least of his followers, well, that's a pretty big deal. So don't think that his plan for you has to look a certain way. Don't compare his plan for you to somebody else's. Stay close to him, trust him, and he will direct your path. Now, I've always been really simplistic in my relationship with with my Heavenly Father. I trust that he's, number one, a really good father, and he's leading me as well. He's watching out for me. So whenever a door opens, an opportunity to minister or help comes my way, I always say yes, whether it's easy or convenient. It's an amazing thing to to learn what you can about yourself and about your God when you open yourself to do things like that. It really is. So I've been able to experience some really amazing things because of that, and I've learned lots of lessons as well. That's how I do it, and he'll show you how he wants you to do it. So tonight I spoke for a little bit about settling for less than God's best. But in light of what we've just learned, why in the world would we ever want to? God has it all figured out. And we don't have to know every detail. All we have to do is trust him. To look to him always with an expectation of receiving a word or a direction or something good. And we need to stop comparing ourselves to other people. Stop looking at our lack or what we think is lack. And begin to walk in the power and the authority of the one who lives inside of you. 
because he's equipped you in advance for walking out your purpose. So we have to step out in faith and stop settling for less than God's best. So I want to spend the last few moments of our time here. I have like a little a little project. I have three questions. John, if you would hand those out. John's going to give everybody a card, and he's going to give you a pen. And then we've got three questions that I'm going to ask you, and I want you to take a moment and pray, and then I want you to answer the questions, and then we're going to break up into little groups, and we're going to pray because we want to move forward, right? We want to move into what God has for us. So if you've got it all going on and you're doing great, then you can encourage maybe one in your little group that isn't. But I think God has a lot for this church. I think he's getting ready to bring a lot more people in. We all need to be on our our A game ready to receive them and to be moving and doing. Because we can't wait for people just to only come to the church. We've got to be ready to encounter them wherever we are. Just like Peter and John, they were on their way. And if you read through the New Testament, how many times did Jesus on his way from point A to point B, did he encounter? It was a random miracle. He encountered a funeral procession. He encountered a leper. He encountered a blind person. He was always going, but he was always moving and doing things that the Father asked him to do. And we need to to be like that as well. Always be listening for the Father to give us instruction because, you know, it might be somebody in Fred Myers or somebody at the, the gas station, wherever it is. But God wants to use us to be salt and light to the world. And that might be part of your purpose because we're all called. So... Just wait a moment for you to get your cards and your pen. Did you oh, did you get Susanna and Chris and then Georgia and Denise? Everybody's good? Okay, we ready? Question number one. Do I feel that I'm walking out God's purpose for my life? Yes or no? Do I feel that I'm walking out God's purpose for my life? Yes or no? Number two, if the answer is yes, what is that purpose? And if the answer is no, what's keeping you from doing it? And third question, remembering that we serve a limitless God. So if there's no limit, if you could do, if I could do anything for God, what would it look like? Big. Write it down. I could do anything for God. What would it look like? Okay, so Renita, if you'd put some music on, if we could break up into maybe groups of three or four, and then you can maybe share. If you're stuck, maybe ask for prayer. And if you're moving, maybe you could get some encouragement. And I just think it's a good time for us to pray together, to encourage each other, and see what God wants to do. So um, I hope that was 
beneficial to spend that time. And if anybody's brave enough or would like to share, I'd love to hear, or maybe we'd like to be encouraged on what is the big thing. If you could have no limit, which we serve a limitless God, what's the big thing that you would love to do for God? Anybody want to share? Should I just make everybody do it? No. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's good. Amen. Anybody else want to share? Anybody else want to share? Okay. Well, thank you for your attention tonight. I hope that um, that it ministered to you. So let's close in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for each person that's here tonight, Lord, that you would seal the word in our hearts and that we would be intentional, Father, as we go about our day and keep our, our ears close to your heart so that we can hear what you're saying, Lord, and and look for opportunities to show you to this hurting world. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time. Bless us as we go. Bless us through the remainder of this week and bring us back on Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.